All right. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, uh, this young man is deeply worried and in walks this chess champion and he, he looks at the board and he, he studies it. And finally, he asks the proprietor, hey, do you have a chess board here? You know, he's looking at the board in the painting. Do you have a chess board with pieces? And he, the proprietor goes and he looks and he, he finds a chess board. So the chess champion sets it up right in front of the painting. And he lays the pieces out just they as they are in the painting. And he studies it intensely. And he, he thinks about it and he finally makes a move that puts the devil in check and sets him on the defensive. And so now he has to counter defensively. And then he does another move that sets him on the defensive, followed by another and then another. And then finally, throughout the gallery, you hear this shout. I did it! I did it! I did it! The chess champion shouts. And then he turns to the picture of the young man and said, young man, your enemy miscalculated and he didn't recognize a key move. I found it. And as a result, you don't have to lose. You win. As I think about it, the devil has some people on the ropes. You may have been there. You may have experienced that. You may be even now in a situation where the devil is threatening you or your family, perhaps your health or finances or your career or some other area in your life. And you may need help in this spiritual battle. Tony Evans gives us a very key element <coughs> to help us. He tells us this key principle, and it's true. Please understand this. You are not fighting for victory. You're not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. The battle has already been fought. In fact, God has made the deciding move, and he wins. Amen. <laughs> you think about how this battle developed. God made the first move. He created angelic beings, including Lucifer. But Lucifer countered God's move and rebelled against God. <clears throat> and he took a third of the angels with him. Well, God countered with his own move. He created mankind in his own image, but a little lower in power than the angels. <clears throat> And then Satan tempted the first man and woman to sin against God. But then God countered. He provided them a redemption. And he restored fellowship with them. But Satan countered and caused Cain to kill Abel. And God countered. And Seth is born, who created a godly line, who followed after God after God. And on and on, the battle went back and forth, back and forth throughout the Old Testament times, and finally reached about 400 years before Christ, and 
we don't have any more recorded history of that time. It's almost like the two just sat there staring at each other. We, we don't know exactly how to perceive this, but there was no revelation for about 400 years. And then we come to the time of the New Testament. And God had his ultimate move. He called forth his son and sent his son from heaven to earth. Of course, Satan countered that and tempted or attempted to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, cause him to sin. And Jesus countered that. And how did he do that? With the word of God, right? He countered Satan with God's word. And so Satan lost that battle, and he retreated for a while. But finally, Satan did the thing that he thought was his checkmate move, the death of Christ. He orchestrated the crucifixion, but he didn't anticipate God's counter move, the resurrection. So friends, Satan is a defeated foe. The resurrection defeated death and Satan all in one blow. So we do fight, not for victory, but from victory. Today we'll be looking at spiritual warfare as we see it recorded in the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and they were no strangers of spiritual warfare. It was happening there. So he wanted to prepare his readers to be able to engage in this spiritual battle. But as he writes to them, he's also writing to us. We will engage in spiritual battles as well. And so we need to get our armor on. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. The translation, be strong, probably means both to allow the Lord to strengthen you and to strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's how Harold Honer takes it. The power is in the Lord, it's from him. Another thing about this verse, there are three words there different Greek words, each for the word power. Three different words for power in this one verse. You see the same thing in chapter 1. It's a big theme, God's power in the book of Ephesians. It's the divine power that's at work. It's not us. And in order to be strong in the Lord, the Christian must put on the full armor of God. God supplies that. For the believer. The purpose of accepting the full armor that God provides is for waging spiritual warfare. Essentially, it is to equip one to firmly withstand the attacks of Satan. Now, I want to say this. Say you, you do this and you have a few successes. Don't get the big head. Because the power is not yours. On the other hand, if you experience failure in your life, if you experience satanic warfare, if you are feeling weak, hey, 
It's okay. You're weak in your own strength, so you can be strengthened with the power of God. It's His power that strengthens us. Well, we're talking strength, but how do we get strong? Verse 11 tells us, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The picture is God, our commander-in-chief, has issued us all body armor. Well, sometimes we forget we're in a war zone. We neglect what we need to protect ourselves. We are to stand against the devil's schemes. Schemes simply means deceptive strategies. Satan's overarching strategy, which he carries out in many ways, is to deceive. That's his key tactic. His key tactic is not bullets or or disease or death. His key tactic is to deceive. Remember what Christ called him. He is the father of lies. Satan's influence is global. It covers all nations. The primary means of his influence, as I said, is deception. He destroys not mainly by the sword or disease or killing, but mainly by lying. Jesus calls him the father of lies. He lies mainly about these things. God, Jesus, the gospel, and and, and sin. He lies about God, Jesus, the gospel, and sin. Some of the clever tactics and ruses that he uses are the following. Mixing error with just enough truth to make it sound believable. Or quoting, or really misquoting, Scripture. Satan quotes scriptures. We need to be aware of that. And he masquerades as an angel of light. Satan's main work is to oppose the rule of God in the affairs of man, which largely explains the problem of evil and suffering in the world. People argue against God all the time because there's evil and suffering. Well, The main cause of that is Satan. So we need protection. A New York Times report some time ago reported thousands of Americans being injured in the Iraq war that we engaged in. Our soldiers went over to Iraq. Initially, they didn't have the bulletproof vests or the Humvees with reinforced armor. And as a result, many of our soldiers were injured. Uh, Pipe bombs to IEDs, all kinds of explosive devices wound up sending shrapnel into our soldiers. One such is Sergeant Jeremy Feldbush, who was this 24-year-old Army Ranger was in Iraq for only two months. And he came home blind. A small piece of metal changed his life. 
you can see it's imperative that people in a fight be protected against the enemy. Let's take a look at the leader of the other side, the devil, Diabolus. The enemy has different names. Devil means accuser because he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. Another name, Satan, means adversary. He is God's adversary, and because we belong to God, he is our adversary. He always will be. Scripture compares him to a lion, a serpent, an angel of light, as well as the God of this world, small g. Where did he come from? Many, many Bible teachers uh, find his origins in Isaiah chapter 14, where he rebels against God. He's lifted up in pride. He is perhaps the most beautiful angel ever created, perhaps the most powerful. And in pride, he was lifted up. And in pride, he wanted to take place of God. He wanted to reign in God's place on his throne. Well, since he's a created being and not eternal as God is, he is limited in his knowledge and activity. Unlike God, Satan is not all-knowing, all-powerful, or omnipresent. Then how does he accomplish so many things in so many different places at one time? The answer is he has helpers. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies, but against the rulers, plural, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The important thing about our battle is it's not against human beings, flesh and blood. We need the full armor of God because we are engaged in a struggle that is not physical, but spiritual. It is a spiritual battle against a spiritual mafia. We battle on different plane. Satan is God's enemy, and he will be our lifelong enemy. When Satan fell, a third of the angels fell with him. So they have an organization. They have levels like president, vice president, governors, mayors, city council members. They have an organizational structure. Now, there are two, two extremes to avoid. Two extremes. First, not believing they exist. Not believing that demonic beings exist. In today's world, we esteem ourselves as being rational. And oftentimes, people consider themselves too wise to believe in the myths of a devil or fallen angels. And it's easy to get that mentality 
even if we don't really believe it, we, we're surrounded by it everywhere. And so we begin to uh, act as if they didn't exist. That's one problem. But the other is on the opposite extreme. <coughs> and it's to be too obsessed with evil. To be too obsessed with it. Sometimes I've known people that they get so obsessed in something, a cult, a group, a false teaching or something, that that's all they think about. And they just immerse themselves totally in what's wrong to the exclusion of thinking about God or Christ or the Word of God or our high position as Christians or believers in Christ. And they think all about the bad stuff and that's all they think about. And sometimes, amazingly, their Christian life can be torpedoed by focusing all the time on evil. So we need to avoid that. At this point, I wanted to say something, and I want us to think about the fact that the occult, the evil, is present. You can go on TikTok, and you can dabble. Kids can dabble in the occult on their phones, and virtually every kid these days, every teen at least, has their own phone. And so parents often are not able to be aware that this is happening. So let's be aware that this is something that can tempt people. And I'd like to even focus on teens for a minute. Many times young people are invited to participate in an event with other teens. It might involve a game, a Ouija board, for example. It might be to have a little group get together around a table and hope to levitate the table, lift it up just a little bit. Things like that can seem like fun. They can seem exciting. They can give a person a sense of power even, perhaps. But be aware that these are evil. And the Bible has told us, don't get involved in that. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, and other passages specifically cite things that we should not be involved in, things like this. It's kind of like cocaine. I hear that you get quite a rush if you use cocaine even just one time. And that first time, it can be exciting and empowering almost. <clears throat> but then it's so appealing that it becomes addictive. And then the person is caught up in it and uses it more and more. It becomes extremely expensive. And people wind up doing things like stealing just to supply their habit. What started out as fun, appealing, becomes bondage. The same with evil things, things like the occult. Stay away from them. So we have this enemy. How do we defend ourselves? Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Our job is not to mount an offensive. Rather, God has given us something strategic, something to protect us when attacked. 
Our enemy is strong, but not omnipotent. If we take up God's armor, as listed here in this passage, God will help us. We will be protected from the enemy. Now, what is this day of evil that talks about? I think it's talking about a time when Satan or demonic forces might see a particular weakness and try to go for that. Something in, in our life, maybe at that point, when we're tired, when we're weak, when we're feeling distant from God, whatever it is, you think about Christ. Satan himself came against Christ. Do you remember that in the wilderness? And Christ was fasting for 40 days. I imagine he was really quite weak. And that's when Satan chose to come against him. And he won because he depended on God and upon God's commands. We can win too. As Paul wrote this passage, remember, he was in prison, right? And who's he chained to? Chained to a Roman guard, right? And how did Roman guards dress when they went into battle? They had armor. They did. And so Paul, as he's preparing to write the Ephesians, I think he's looking at this Roman guard and thinking about the battle paraphernalia that they had. And so he tries to teach us from that. He took something that the people of that day were very familiar with. Roman soldiers were everywhere. And so they knew about this and they could, they could picture it. Now here, <clears throat> here is the armor that they wore. First, the belt of truth. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Every soldier wore a tunic, kind of heavy cloth from the shoulders down, a hole for the head, placed for the arms to come out, but quite long and quite thick to resist cold weather. And uh, when a soldier was about to do battle, he couldn't run with that. And so he had a belt around his waist. Now, normally in the home, they didn't wear a belt. They just let it hang freely, just kind of a robe. But when they were working in the field or when they needed to do battle, they would wear this heavy belt. And so if they were getting ready to go into combat, they would grab the flowing long part of the robe and they would tuck it in to their belt so that they could run and not be impeded or so that they wouldn't trip. This was part of the battle plan to have this belt in place. You've heard the term girding of the loins. This is that. It's preparation for physical activity or here entering into conflict. The spiritual truth we take from this is we too have a belt to help us in battle. And that belt is truth. Remember, Satan uses what? Lies. Deception. Untruth. We are to be the opposite. We're children of the light. We are to hold fast to truth, to never let it slip. Let's always speak the truth in love. Let's tell the truth. 
If we ever drift away from speaking truth, we get into trouble. We can open up our lives for demonic influence if we begin to lie. Think about David, King David. Remember him? Remember how he got involved with another woman? He committed adultery, and of course he lied to cover it up. For a year he lied. During that year, nothing went right. So let's always be truthful. Let's always tell the truth. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The soldier wore molded metal covering from the neck to nearly the thighs. It protected the soldier's heart, lungs, and stomach area. Wearing it would save his life. Not wearing it would be disastrous. We could describe what could happen as he sliced open, but we don't need to go there. Not a good thing. We are to have the breastplate of righteousness in place. Our righteousness, though, is not our own. We have the righteousness of Christ put to our account. God has declared every believer in Christ righteous. How righteous? With the righteousness of Christ put to our account. Totally righteous. Once we have that righteousness, God wants us to move from the theoretical to the experiential. We have righteousness. Now he wants us to live righteously. He wants us to live out what he has put to our account. To live righteously in Christ. And we are to develop the habit of living righteously. So that we always make that choice. If we day after day after day live righteously. Do the right thing. In every case, we develop that habit. It's kind of like people that are trained for paratroopers. You know, they go through three weeks of intense training on how to jump out of a plane and use a parachute. They're taught again and again and again and again and again exactly what to do, so it becomes second nature. And they're taught in case of a bad situation... They know exactly how to respond to that because it's been drilled into them for days and weeks. And so it is with us. If we become accustomed to living righteously, it's easy to make that choice. And that will protect us from the devil. Well, next we come to the shoes. Think of all the specialty footwear that's out there. Shoes for running, shoes for soccer, shoes for baseball with cleats, uh, running shoes, even shoes for walking. (coughs) The right shoes (coughs) can make a big difference in performance. In Vietnam, the soldiers initially were sent with the traditional army boots, and they were sent out into the jungles, 
And of course, what you do is you're slogging through water about half the time. And, and so we lost more soldiers to, um, to foot disease than we did to bullets. So the, the platoon sergeant became, his mantra became, change your socks, boys. He had to make sure that they would take off their boots and they would dry their feet to keep them well. Of course, eventually they learned from this and they developed special boots that were self-draining, self-drying. So the right footwear is imperative. Roman soldiers, too, had special shoes. Each soldier wore sandals. <clears throat> when the train was slippery, the fight might uh, cause them to slip. Those shoes were equipped with hobnails on the bottom that would give them traction. In some cases, they were even uh, built with nails from the bottom, kind of an early version of cleats. <clears throat> Look at verse 15. <clears throat> and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. <clears throat> what Paul meant is debated. Since all but the last of the armor is defensive, <clears throat> it appears this is something to protect us. The key is the word peace. Do you see the irony? In dealing with war and conflict, what will protect us is peace. Because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Armed with that knowledge, we can encounter various difficulties and opposition knowing that we are in a right relationship with God. Not because we're good, but because he has granted us that peace. We have peace with God. Romans 5. So we can go into any situation in a peaceful manner. If you have a barking, snarling dog, they smell fear, right? But if you're at peace, they're going to be tentative in attacking. They're, not, they're sensing you are not afraid. <clears throat> peace in our hearts gives us victory against our spiritual foes. Next, the shield of faith. Thurios is a Greek word. And there were mainly two types of shields for the foot soldier. One was a small round shield that was very maneuverable. So it was great for sword fighting. You could block and, and fight and move just having this small shield. This shield is not that. This shield... <clears throat> is a large shield. It's two and a half feet by four feet. And it's, it's uh, kind of circular uh, in shape. And it's sort of like a door. In fact, thuros is the Greek word for door. So this shield is like a door that you're holding. And it served a great purpose. When you're marching, when the Roman soldiers are marching in battle against an enemy, very often they shot arrows. And those arrows might be tipped with, with pitch or some other, other material to uh, be lit on fire so that when it hit the soldiers, it would splatter and get fire on you and fire on your buddy. But these shields were 
built in such a way that they interlocked. And so they would form a solid barrier across the front line, protecting not only you, but all of the troops from the fiery darts of the enemy. Now look what he wrote. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. See how he's thinking about military battles? Faith here is the firm confidence in the Lord and in his word. When circumstances are adverse, when doubts hit, when shipwreck threatens, faith looks up and said, God, it says, God, I believe you. I trust you. We all need protection. Country singer Vince Gill tells about meeting a young cancer patient named Tara. He said this, I remember meeting her in the hospital after playing golf all day, and I had a big pink sunburned nose. Tara had no hair, but the cutest smile you've ever seen. She said, have you been out in the sun all day? I told her, yes, I'd been playing golf. Did you wear sunscreen? She asked. Well, no. The look on her face brought me to my knees. It's like, I'm here struggling for my life, and you're not smart enough to wear sunscreen? Then she asked, do you read your Bible every day? And I said, well, no. And I got that same look. <laughs> he said, needless to say, since that day, I've been wearing sunscreen more and reading the Bible just a bit more every day. <laughs> Bethany Hamilton once ranked as the best amateur teen surfer in Hawaii, lost an arm to a tiger shark. <coughs> Both her compassion and her competitiveness, however, have reached a new level. Soon after the attack, she began to raise money to restore a man's eyesight. When she was walking the streets of New York, she saw a homeless girl with no jacket in the cold, and she took off her ski jacket and gave it to her. When asked about that, she simply said, I have lots of things in my life I could do without the jacket. Her pastor, Steve Thompson, said, she's looking forward to the future. She's asking herself, how can I show the world I still have a life, that I enjoy my life, and that my life is filled with joy? He says, she has an underlying trust that God is taking care of her. Wouldn't it be great if we all lived a little bit more like Bethany Hamilton? Now we come to the helmet 
of salvation. When I was a kid, we used to play athletic events in the neighborhood, get all the neighborhood boys. I was kind of somewhere in the middle of the mix. Sometimes we'd play in backyards or maybe an open lot. And on a particular day, we were playing football, and we played tackle football. And um, so our side, our team threw a pass to Don. My friend Don is just a little spitfire. He's not big, but he's exceedingly aggressive and fast. And so he's running down the field. Well, the guy on the other side that's trying to catch him is the oldest, biggest guy on the whole lot, John Thompson. And John is lanky, and he's fast, and he's really stretching out those legs, and he's trying to grab, John, uh, grab Don, and Don is just about a fingertip away from his grip. All the way down the field, they're running at top speed. Finally, as John realizes it's now or never, he jumps and lunges for, for Don. He landed on his back, and they go tumbling. It seemed like it was okay, but then John asked me, hey, what time is it? I told him, well, you know, it's about five. We played another down. He comes and asks me, what time is it? I tell him. Play a couple more downs. What did he ask me? What time is it? I know something's not right. His mom took him to the doctors, and they diagnosed him with a mild concussion. What do you think mom said after that? No more tackle football unless you're wearing a helmet. In battle, whatever you do, you must protect your head. Paul describes the protection for the head. This one is very important. He says, take the helmet of salvation. There's a clear and straightforward purpose for the helmet to protect the soldier from head wounds. The Roman helmet was covered with metal and sometimes had cheek plates as well. When the battle is intense, the Christian warrior knows that ultimate victory is sure. We know that. Assurance of eventual deliverance perseveres him to, re to not retreat or surrender. As Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, finally we get to the only part of the armor that could be used offensively. Verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This was not the large broadsword Ronfira. This, uh, this large sword was used for crashing down on the heads of the enemy. But this is the smaller sword. It measured up to 18 inches long. Being shorter, it was admirably suited for cut and thrust weapons for close work. The sword of the Spirit is for close-in work. It takes some skillful handling, which comes from skillful knowledge of God's Word, the Bible. If you think, you're having, if you think having an unused Bible around will protect your head, your mind... Be assured it won't. 
Psalm 119 does not say, thy word have I hid in my briefcase that I might not sin against you. We need to study the word of God. Each and every one can. I started as, a, as an adult in my 20s, and I didn't know cheese from chalk. Everybody starts somewhere. You can start right where you are. One guy was 16. He said, you know, I just, you know, at my age, I just don't know that I can invest the time into learning where I'm so old. I mean, what's the point? But his pastor challenged him and others challenged him. Other men challenged him. And so he committed to learning the word of God and he studied the word of God. And his Bible became a worn Bible, underlined, highlighted, cross-references, notes, everything. And when he died at age 90, he was a master at the Word of God. Each and every person can learn to handle the Word of God skillfully. There'll be times when you need it. The classic example is when Satan tried to trip up Jesus, Luke 4. Notice Satan knows the Word. He will use it. He will try to convince you of things that are not true using the Bible. Somebody said you can prove just about anything from the Bible if you don't really understand it. Jesus knew the Word of God. And when Satan used the Word of God to come against him, he knew just the right passage to counter and to follow God faithfully. I took Taekwondo when I was younger. Our instructor asked if we knew in a year we would be attacked, would we train for hours each day to be ready? God has told us Satan will attack. That evil day will come. Not at the time we expect, not in the way we expect, but it will come. It will probably come when we are least prepared for it. <coughs> so my hope is we will be prepared knowing the word of God. Well, with this piece, the description of the armor comes to an end. In one sense, the whole armor of God is a picture of Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth. And he is our righteousness and our peace. His faithfulness <clears throat> makes our faithfulness possible. He is our salvation. He is the word of God. This means that when we trusted Christ, we received the armor. Paul told the Romans what to do with the armor. Wake up, cast off the sin, and put on the armor of light. We do this by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are never to be out of reach of Satan's devices, so we must never be without the whole armor of God. So, are you prepared to take a stand? 
When the evil day comes, when you are feeling weakness, yet thrust into spiritual war, will you stand firm? Paul has given us six things to help us. These are all found in the character of Jesus Christ. Things he lived out in his life walking in the Spirit. Jesus faced many trials, some of the most intense ever faced, and yet he held firm. He passed the test. As you grow in your walk with the Lord, may he grant you success in his power. Father God, uh, this is true. We will face trials. Some people are probably even now facing trials. But Father, you've given us defensive weapons that can stand against those, those attacks. I pray, Father, that we will take that up and we will learn to live in the character of Christ, for he demonstrated these qualities as well. Father, help us to be strong for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.